Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And Lou, this is going to be an interesting subject for me today because I'm kind of lean on my knowledge about lean manufacturing. So I don't know a lot about it. Well, that's why we're going to have our guests tell us and our audience all about it. Uh, I have had some uh, previous conversations with our guests, so I'm not quite as lean as you. Good. But uh, we'll we'll all be a lot smarter by the time this show is uh, over. But we're going to take uh, first a... A quick uh, commercial break, and then we're going to come back and we'll introduce our guest, and we're going to take off from there. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification, fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. And welcome back. We're going to now speak with Jason Burt, who is the founder and consultant of Evolve Holdings, a consulting firm that deals with lean manufacturing, of which I know little. Uh, so, Jason, welcome to the show, and welcome to uh, a stupid student that you have to educate today about lean manufacturing. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. It's our pleasure. We love educating our audience, so why don't we get right to it, and I'm going to start off with a question that uh, will satisfy Tim's uh, lack of knowledge uh, on this, Right. and why don't you explain in an elevator pitch fashion what lean manufacturing is? Sure. So, uh, you know, it's a, obviously elevator pitch, so I won't go into the long history, but it is a management system that was developed by Toyota uh, many, many years ago. Um, started off as a Toyota production system, and, and in the U.S. and kind of worldwide, it's really taken on what's called lean manufacturing. And it's essentially a system of management and a way to attack processes around continuous improvement and solving problems, um, engaging the workforce. So, you know, lean is, is kind of a, a philosophy that a company will take on, you know, both manufacturing services, lots of different industries where um, they're, they're continually improving their business on a day-to-day basis to try and bring more value to their customers. Okay, so uh, 
why would somebody uh, look to in, uh, bring lean into their company's uh, culture? What, and and what, how many different reasons are there for that uh, event to happen? Well, there, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, I work with a lot of um, individual business owners, private companies. I work with a lot of private equity-owned businesses. Um, you know, lean affects a lot of things throughout the company. So it affects quality, cost, delivery, you know, bringing more value to the customer. So any of those can essentially end up being drivers to, you know, reach out and, and start learning about lean manufacturing. Um, you know, most of my clients, I, I have to say that a lot of them tend to be more cost driven a lot of times, but I have one client right now where, um, it's not really about cost. It's about they're not able to grow as fast as they want to grow because they can't. They're struggling just to satisfy their current customer base and the current volume that they have. So they're missing out on opportunities to grow as a company. So we're working through how do we design the process and start solving problems so that they can be better at um, meeting their current customers' needs and essentially be able to open up capacity and and be able to grow their company to where they want to get to for, you know, 2018 and to 2018, 2019 and beyond. So let me ask you, uh, does you, something that you said triggered my, my thought about how does marketing play a role in this? Uh, you said uh, a moment ago about the fact that they don't know how to grow their business where they have difficulty in growing their business. So the point, you know, as a marketing guy that I have been, uh, you can almost always fix things with more sales. So you get mm-hmm. more sales through marketing. Uh, how does marketing fit into the uh, lean philosophy, or doesn't well, at I would, all? I, I yeah, I would say you know, I guess when I talk about growth, I'm talking about the organizational capability, right? So. Um, if I'm trying to produce, you know, widget A, and I'm currently able to produce 100,000 at good quality, but I can't figure out, you know, when I'm trying to go to 150,000 in a year, my quality starts to suffer, my delivery starts to suffer. There's essentially some organizational capability or capacity where you start to hit a wall. So with that happening, it's, it stunts your growth as an, as an organization. So, um, yeah, I agree. You can always bring in more sales, but I have seen, or I've been brought in and worked with companies where they've grown from 50 million to a hundred million and they're making less money at a hundred million than they were at 50 million because of all the issues and all the problems that they didn't fix along the way. And they're struggling with that. So they now have quality issues, delivery issues, their labor's out of control, their inventory's out of control. So I think it's, you know, the right kind of growth and being prepared for growth and controlling your growth and doing it the right way is extremely important. Um, and, you know, using uh, lean as kind of a philosophy of, of how to solve problems along the way and make sure you're doing the right thing for your customer. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I bring to the table for a lot of my clients, helping them grow responsibly um, where, where they're truly making more money and, and bringing more value to their customer when they get to that new pinnacle uh, versus where they were before. 
Okay, so here you just dispelled my idea of philosophy about more more sales and more money brings more <laughs> profits. So uh, we're, we're going to move right off of that dime. And, uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I, I understand uh, what you're saying. Um, I, I don't know if doubling your business actually reduces your profit to the degree that you're hurting. But in any event, uh, so let's talk about your customer who went from 50,000 pieces to 100,000 pieces in a year. Uh, What is the first thing that you're attacking so that he'll be more profitable at 100 than 50? Yeah, so in that particular case, um, that company – they had a lot of different issues that they were struggling with. Um, the biggest thing for them um, was when you look at their cost model, their, their cogs were completely out of control. So they had, um, in order for them to be able to hit that new revenue number, their overtime, their baseline standard labor um, was completely out of control. Um, their quality was, uh, the amount of scrap and the amount of poor quality that they were actually shipping to the customer and, and getting back in returns. Um, so there were a lot of different cost factors that were, that were affecting their bottom line. And, and like I said, essentially they, from a pure profit standpoint, yeah, revenue was up, but, but from a profit standpoint, they really weren't making any more money as a company um, because yeah. they were, they had so many, so many different problems that were going on around the organization they grew so, so quickly. Um, so we went in and really, you know, the first thing that we started attacking was trying to create some level of stability in terms of quality because we didn't want bad quality getting out to the customer. We wanted to protect the customer and protect their reputation as a business. So we did a lot of things focusing on ensuring quality that was going out the door and truly doing some problem solving to, to fix the root cause of why the the poor quality was happening within their manufacturing processes. And then we started really looking at um, their labor costs. Um, A lot of their labor swings and overtime was kind of related to how they were scheduling, how they were trying to um, uh, play the market per se. They had orders that would all come at the end of a quarter. They weren't leveling their production throughout a year. So they would, you know, have very little work at the beginning of the week and a ton of work at or the beginning of the month and a ton of work at the end of the month. Well, they had to have all those people there the entire month. So their cost right. was, was getting driven up very high based on that type of um, philosophy and what they were trying to do. So, so we did a lot of things. I mean, I can't talk, you know, to all of them, but we really focused on quality and they're driving costs out from a from a labor standpoint, and it, and it wasn't us firing people um, or anything like that. I don't you know believe in just going in and just cutting heads. It was you know we really started driving the stability of the business as we fixed quality. They were able to grow more and bring no, new business in, and as people left, we let them you know through attrition leave the the company. But eventually, we were able to really start driving more profitability. Uh, for the company at those higher revenue numbers and getting them back to a stable company that they needed to be. Well, there are two points that I picked up on, and and one of them was you you talk a lot about uh, quality. Uh, And my curiosity 
uh, about ISO 9000, uh, which uh, our main business, All Metals and Forge Group, we are an ISO company and have been for almost 30 years. And we found, we did that as a marketing uh, tool then. And then within a year, we realized that, wait a minute, it's, it's more than marketing. It's more than prestige of having the ISO. It was that we do things now and have been now for almost 30 years. We do things the same way every time. Uh, that would, would that help the lean philosophy? Yeah, definitely. So, so with lean, um, you know, problem solving is a big part of lean manufacturing. There's lots of different tools, but essentially they all help you highlight problems and go after them so you can solve them. And the one thing that ISO, I think, brings to the table is it starts to create that standard because you have to have a standard before you can actually say that there's a problem or see what problems might be happening in reference to the standard. So ISO brings in, you know, especially when you have a company that has no procedures at all, which um, there are many of them still out there, believe it or not. You know, ISO brings in, (laughs) yeah. Um, ISO brings in that level of stability and kind of structure and kind of forces, you know, putting some, some basic procedures and controls in place. And, you know, and in order to do any type of good problem solving and start to, you know, build that lean culture, you have to have some processes in place um, to be able to use that standard to problem solve from. So I think they do, you know, work in conjunction together. Um, I don't think, you know, they have to be together, but I think you, they, they definitely can work together and play together depending upon the needs of the company. One of the things that uh, we experienced uh, when we employed the ISO into our uh, company was that, and, and again, this was at the very beginning of ISO, this was in the 90s, there was a fair amount of uh, employee pushback of why of why do we have to do things different than we've been doing them? Uh, and I don't know if that kind of mentality exists anymore because I don't have that issue anymore. But have you run across that where you get employee pushback on organization or restructuring or implementing ISO and that type of yeah. uh, program? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, lean, you know, including and just like ISO um, and any type of kind of management philosophy, it's it's culture change, right? So every company has an existing culture. And when you start going down a different path and looking at things differently, um, you know, it's change, you know, different than the culture was there before. So there's almost immediately, you know, this, this struggle of, you know, that's not the way we've done it, uh, you know, yeah. the, the old, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And, and I think that's just natural. And I think with any culture change that's going on within a company, you know, we have to be able to, you know, have those conversations and talk about how, you know, this will, you know, with lean, for example, we go after a lot of, you know, ergonomic issues and hard work and things like that. So, so we're trying to make, the work easier because if it's easier you can be more efficient so you know it's all about trying to make sure that they understand what are we trying to accomplish both as a company and for all the employees throughout the organization and, and you know what that benefit is to them 
And I think, you know, another key part of, of that culture change is how much you're engaging them. So, you know, engaging them and solving some of the problems that they're experiencing on a day-to-day basis, they're going to be a lot more willing to go down that path versus, you know, an engineer from out front coming out and just saying, hey, here's a new process, here you go, and then leaving. So right. I think it's, it's all about how, how we figure, you know, how do we work through that culture change with any, you know, anything that we're doing within the company that, that we just have to do it the right way. And I think we can get the level of engagement that's uh, needed to be successful. Do you recommend that a company's management uh, bring the working uh, staff into the process of making contributions on how would you do this? How, how would your job be uh, if we made it easier? And what would you suggest to make your job easier where we don't sacrifice uh, you know, time, production, and, and quality? Yeah, definitely. So, um, they're the ones that know the work the best, right? I mean, right. Um, you know, I've ran, I've ran plants throughout the years and ran companies and, you know, as, as much as you want to sit in your office and feel that you know what's going on out on the plant floor, the reality is, is the guy doing the job knows it way better. You know, he knows it intimately, um, the ins and out of that procedure, that machine, that process. So, so getting them involved at the level, you know, we obviously have to put some, some level of, of, you know, construct around, Hey, here's the direction we're going because we can't just, you know, let them say, oh, well, the answer to my problem is to buy a new machine. Well, no, we want to fix this machine. So, you know, what are the issues with this machine? So we have to give them some framework. Mm-hmm. But within that framework, we want them to bring 99% of the, you know, solutions to the table as much as possible. You know, if they can bring all, you know, every solve every problem, that's the ideal situation. Um, but, it, yeah, to get them as involved as, as possible and, have them work on solving those issues and bringing those ideas to the table. That's the the best way to have positive culture change and to be able to have a good implementation and be successful uh, when you're, when you, you really look back and yeah, we, we accomplished something in the right way. So you go into a company, uh, your team, and you analyze from your perception as to what's going on in the company. And I'm assuming that you uh, talk with a lot of people in the company, the people on the floor, the people in the office, and so on. And you start to uh, create, I guess, a team, uh, I'm guessing. Um, And I presume that some of these employees would be on the team. Would that be a helpful methodology? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's that's exactly right. So as we're as we're working in different areas, um, you know, we want to make sure, and you know, or even if we're working in different areas, having people involved um, at all different areas and levels through the company, um, working with us, you know, one to develop them and train them. Um, as a consultant, my job is not to consult forever with that company. My job is to transfer the knowledge around how to solve problems and how to create a lean. Um, you know, system within their company. So my goal is to, you know, when I work with a client to work my way out of a job, essentially. Um, So with that being said, I need to transfer the knowledge to all the different people within the organization that I can. So having, you know, shop floor 
managers, supervisors, top leadership involved because they all play different roles in that in that change and going down this lean path. And I need to really develop all of them to understand what their role is and how they can keep this work going after I'm gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Being that you mentioned about being gone, uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things that you and I spoke about uh, going back in time was the ways to use lean to uh, leave the legacy, leave a legacy. Uh, sure. How, how, how do you go about that? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I see a lot of companies that um, the leadership has, you know, owned the company for a long time or the leadership has been leading the company for a long time. And, and sometimes that exit can be difficult because, especially in small, maybe mid-sized companies, a lot of those companies, everything runs through that leader. And I challenge a lot of leaders, especially ones I talk with that are thinking of selling the company or exiting, retiring, you know, what is that legacy that you're leaving? Because the, the struggle can be when that leader leaves, everything that was there, the culture and everything that was going on because it ran through that leader kind of goes with them. So right. for me, I think, I think building a culture that's more sustainable on its own, um, and I think lean starts to do that. It starts to put these processes and procedures of not just how we do X to build the part, but how do we solve a problem? How do we see the problems that are going on? How do we improve for the customer? How do we reduce lead time? And how do we engage employees? You know, how do we get leadership out on the shop floor understanding the processes that are going on, right? So lean looks very broadly at a lot of those things, and it starts to create this this culture that's very, you know, has a lot of structure to it, and it can be very self-sustaining long-term if implemented the correct way. So, so I challenge leaders that that can be a legacy that allows that company to last well beyond their time. I've seen many companies that get sold and there's this seller's remorse because five years later the company is struggling or it's gone down a path that maybe they didn't, you know, it was their baby for 30 years and now they sold their company and it's a struggling company again. Um, where I think if you build that legacy of lean and that culture, um, it's something that I think they can be proud of and that it'll help that com- company survive for many years in the future and continue to be very successful. Jason, I'm just curious. You obviously know a great deal about the subject matter. Where did you get your knowledge from? Um, So I was working at a company called Herman Miller. They're an office furniture manufacturer back Mm -hmm. in, uh, I think, the mid-'90s. And we were – the plant that I was associated with happened to be a company that was really struggling. Um, We were – by far out of the entire company, the worst plant in terms of quality, delivery, cost. And we reached out to Toyota to help mentor us. They were they had a small group that was mentoring companies within the U.S. and teaching them about the Toyota production system or lean manufacturing. And they took us on as a client. And when that happened, um, I quickly raised my hand and said I wanted to get involved uh, immediately. And from the mid-90s until 
2000 and I think 11 when I left Herman Miller, we transformed that entire company. It's a multi-billion dollar company and you know, it, it's com- a completely different company today and extremely successful in terms of lean, um, very fast lead times, very good costs in terms of the market, very satisfied customers. And I was able to work alongside with Toyota that entire time who, you know, they are the creators of, of lean manufacturing. And then when I went out on my own in 2011, I started consulting and, and I've been consulting with companies for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years and uh, been able to continue to, to learn and, and keep in working with some pretty great clients and keep developing uh, my thinking uh, as much as possible around the, how to implement lean in different companies, different manufacturing companies, different industries, service companies. And, and uh, I think it's just kind of an ever, never-ending learning process uh, for me in, in this environment. I, I would assume that uh, every one of your clients, uh, every, every transaction is a, a totally different uh, event. Yes. Being, yeah, that's, be, I mean, I think, I th- because I think of that's the one of the things I really like it. Yeah, it keeps you fresh. It keeps you fresh. Yeah, it does. It does. I, you know, I have the luxury of, of going into a company and saying, wow, I have never seen this built before and I've never even seen this machine or anything like it, but let's dig in and let's figure out how to understand how to make it more efficient or more effective or, or whether, you know, I've been worked, you know, gone and and spent time on a commercial farm with cucumbers and, and green peppers and trying to figure out how to drive them to be more effective and efficient from all the way from picking it in the field all the way till it shows up on the shelf. You know, those, those are great experiences where I can continually try and figure out, you know, how do, I, how do I drive a process of lean within this industry or this company? It definitely keeps me on my toes. Jason, how does the lean approach help keep manufacturing in the good old U.S. of A.? <laughs> well, that's something I feel very uh, strong about personally. Um, you know, I think... It, it's really eye-opening to me a lot of the companies that I step into um, from the standpoint of how they've continued to do the same thing for so many years. Um, and I think, you know, and, and, I, and I don't want this to sound bad, but I, I feel in many cases I walk into those companies and they've been very complacent for too long. And in this global economy, we can't afford to be complacent and not improving on a day-to-day basis. We can't afford to not be figuring out how to be better tomorrow than we were today. And I think, you know, that culture that we're talking about with lean, it drives that and turns it into a process where, you know, you're learning to do that every day. It's part of your day-to-day job, not just solving the problem of how do I get the product out today and it's the same problem I solved a week ago that the labels didn't print properly or this or that, you know, some minor thing. It's how am I exponentially better six months from now or at the end of the year? And I think that's what we have to do to save manufacturing in the U.S. We have to, in every industry, start thinking about 
we can't just be a little bit better or just solve the day-to-day problems. We have to improve um, at an exponential rate. And I think many companies don't know how to do that. I think Lean and the Toyota production system can be that answer um, for companies that want to keep it here instead of being backed into a corner and saying, I've got to outsource it somewhere else. You brought up an interesting point, and that is that uh, a manufacturing company who's been making parts or doing their thing and making widgets for so many years, how do they know that they are not as efficient as they could be? How do they know to call Jason Burt onto the scene to show them how they could improve their lot? Um, you know, I think every, you know, I, I, well, I don't want to say every company, but I think most companies are self-aware of where they are in the marketplace, where they are in terms of cost, in terms of quality, where their competition is coming from. Are they in a dangerous spot in terms of, you know, Chinese production? Are they going to get knocked off uh, because their product is very much a commodity and, and, you know, at any day they can start getting some some threats from another, um, you know, competitor. So I think mm-hmm. most companies are aware of that. But like I said, I think most of them just don't know what else they can do. And I think many companies have heard of Lean or have kind of stuck their toe in the water about Lean. And in fact, almost all of my clients, you know, when I first walk in there, well, we've done lean before. We did it. We did it back in, you know, in 2000. We did it, we did it you know, back in the late 90s. But they never really took it to the level that showed them the possibilities of what they could become. So I think most leadership and companies know where their gaps are, where their problems are, how they can be better in, at, at some level or they – they feel they can. They just don't know how to get there. And, and I think those are the those are the companies that I think should be reaching out to whether it's me or someone in my industry to help coach them because they need to have that desire and willingness to say, yes, I've got some gaps. You know, we're barely able to keep up with the market right now, and I've got a competitor over in China that's starting to kick my whatever in terms of price. So those are the types of companies that, that should reach out because they have a need and they recognize it, they just don't know how to make it happen. So your clients, are they typically medium-sized companies, I would suspect? Yeah. um, You know, I don't – everyone has kind of a different definition of what medium size is. You know, typically my clients are anywhere from, you know, $10 million in revenue to, you know, 150 somewhere in that range. But I've worked with companies – that are even much smaller than that um, and much bigger. So, but typically I, I play in that kind of middle market. Mm-hmm. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of my, a lot of my clients come through private equity firms um, where they're buying multiple companies and, and they're looking to, you know, help, help turn their company around and, you know, over the next couple of years. So um, that ends up feeding me a lot of business. Well, we're going to take a, a short Uh, commercial break and we're going to be right back and uh, we'll be talking a few more minutes with you and uh, let's take it to the break manufacturing talk radio will be right back hi this is lou weiss 
Some of you know me as Lou Weiss with the Yellow Jacket, but today I'm president of All Metals and Forge Group. We are proud and pleased to be the sponsors for Manufacturing Talk Radio and for WAM, Women and Manufacturing, since 2013. AMFG is an open-die forge facility and a producer of seamless rolled rings since 1972. Most of the metal families are available in our inventory for production to help keep down delivery times due to mill deliveries of raw stock. We also specialize in machined, large, and complex forged parts. So give us a look at steelforge.com, our website, or give us a call at 973-276-5000. Send us your inquiries, your drawings, and specifications. Our quoting turnaround time is usually less than 24 hours hours to help you get your job from your client. Give us a try. We're almost doing this 50 years of partnering with our clients. We'd like to partner with you as well. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we're back with Jason Burt. Uh, Jason, you're with Evolve Holdings, and I want to make sure that everybody gets your website in here. It's ehiipconsulting.com. Jason, just to kind of wrap up this segment, uh, when does a manufacturer call you? How much pain are they in when you get the phone call? And it's like, uh, well, okay, can you be here tonight at midnight because we're going to get started? <laughs> it's You know, sadly, it is typically, you know, much farther down the path than it, than it should be. So, you know, many times it's the company is backed up to a wall um, they're in the red. They're struggling to that level by the time they reach out or, you know, um, get to that point where they, they realize how badly they need help. And it, and that and it makes it much worse when that happens, when, you know, you're starting from behind, you're starting, you know, negatively financially and and or, or at such a bad point with customers that customers are starting to walk away from a quality or delivery standpoint. I, I would suggest that, you know, I have not walked into a company and not been able to help them see what the possibilities are, even in good times, even when they're financially stable, things are going fairly well for them. There is usually still large levels of improvement that we can show and, you know, guide them towards. So I would suggest calling sooner than uh, when you're when you're in the red. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, Jason, we appreciate you joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio and kind of giving our listeners and myself an education about lean manufacturing, something we've heard about for years and years. It's been around since World War II or shortly thereafter uh, when the yes. Japanese had to develop it and did it brilliantly. So we appreciate your insights. Thanks for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. So for everybody, again, that was Jason Burt. He is with Evolve Holdings. He's the founder, and uh, he'll be glad to come out and consult with you. You can reach him at jburt at ehiipllc.com or go to his website, ehiipconsulting.com, and reach out to Burt before you go off the cliff. (laughs) Thanks again for everyone listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.